Welcome to Blockbusted, movie review podcast where everyday responsibilities are slowly but surely taking out the whimsy and joy in life. I'm Mitch. I'm Max. And today we are looking at Castle in the Sky and The Boy and the Heron. Happy, happy new, newest of the years, the latest year, 2024. And happy season two of the oh, show. I thought you meant like happy season. Like, yeah, like it's a happy season. No, it's yeah, a happy ha- season two. Of happy Walk summer. Boston. Hi, Max. How you doing? Hi. I'm good. This is your first episode back recording after being in Japan. Yeah, and and I I I brought you I brought you back a gift. What's the gift? Uh, well, I so I oh well, my god, it's like, my old co-host. <laughs> Damn it! I was gonna do like I stole I stole you away for a week. There was gonna be a bit. All right, give him time. All right, do it again. I'll, I won't I won't interrupt this time. I'll let you I'll let you stumble through that bit again. Thanks. You're welcome. Um. You got uh, me brought, a gift. I got you a gift. I got you a gift. I got you a two-part gift. Um, my, the first part is I've I, I brought I brought back Jazz after the one week that I held a kidnap in my basement. Whoa! You know what? It was a pleasure. Free accommodation. <laughs> Dude, rent is killer in Melbourne, man. I'll rent take a rough. I'll take a basement. I'll take a basement. It's pretty Hell bad. Yeah. Uh, um, what's the second part? The the second one is I I brought. This this episode's theme. What's the theme? Well, I'm going to hand you a little slip of virtual paper, and then you're going to read out the theme. But I brought it back okay. from Japan. Okay, I will read the theme. <laughs> that that's me handing you a bit of paper. Um, which receptacle did this piece of paper go it, to? It went to your hands. Your virtual this, hands. These ones? No, I. Yeah, oh, but you're not you're not sending me a message. You're just no, telling I was, me to I was, read. No, I was, I was, oh, I was telling okay. you to read the thing. It's Miyazaki and he's whimsy. Wow. I, I thought you were sending me a message. No, I thought I, that's I what was, you were. I was I was doing a bit about how like I brought I brought Miyazaki, Miyazaki. films from Mr. Japan. Mr. Miyazaki himself from Japan. Look at him. He's so happy all the time, he's, constantly. That's, that's definitely how I would characterize this man. Yeah, definitely joyous all the time. So, Max, you went to the Studio Ghibli uh, thing or what's it called? Museum. The museum. <laughs> which is the museum. Yeah. Which is now thematically appropriate. Please. It is thematically me. appropriate. Yeah. Um, I was actually very lucky because they just put up their exhibit about um, one of the films we're going to do today, uh, The Boy and the Heron. Um, what? Yeah, I know, right? Um, so it's full of old production stills and uh, sketches and heaps and heaps of artwork by Miyazaki and the other, and the team at um, Studio Ghibli. And this big sculpture of the robots from uh, Laputa. Uh, it's very cool. And if you got a chance to go in Japan, do it. It's fun. You have to book in advance, but it's good. I got a little commemorative pin. It's got a pig on it. Oh my god, this is he, lo- he loves for, his pigs. This is perfect for audio. This yeah, it's like it's like a crest, 
and there's like Totoro and there's some eagles and a pig. I think I think that's pigs. meant to I think that's meant to be from Spirited Away. The pig? Yeah, because they don't like turn into pigs. I haven't seen Spirited Away. Oh my god, get it together. I've seen Get your shit together. I've seen a bunch of the other earlier stuff. I'm working my way through. You need to be working a lot quicker, all right? You need to up your workload. <sighs> well, as I mentioned before, everyday responsibility is slowly sapping out my will to live. But some will is re- regrown via the, the loveliness of these films because they're so cute. Man, I'm good at this. Um... Season two, woo! Season two! Season two, motherfucker! So most shows get good, so, you know, don't lose hope. it wasn't good before? <laughs> yeah, we're, pa- we're past, past uh, the bit where you have to, like, grow into what you are and, like, you spend all the time, like, dealing with, like, audio issues and like, all that kind of stuff. We're still dealing that, with audio which issues. Which would never yeah, happen again. I brought again. that issue back. We're still dealing Sorry. with audio issues. <laughs> Let's just, just run the clip. <laughs> So, so Jazz, I'm, I'm special treat. Yeah. <laughs> the special treat that I'm bringing is the beautiful movie Castle in the Sky from 1986, hot minute ago, um, directed by, oh, no, wait, I've, like, never said his first name. <laughs> hey, yo, hey, hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, yo. Hey, no, no one can hey, ever I- give me shit again. No one can <laughs> ever give me shit again. <laughs> no, because I was looking at it like, oh, I'm, I'm going to read that. And then I t- I went to say it out loud and I was like, I'm going to humiliate myself. So I just need to, um, Max, my how, life. Every episode. how would you pronounce it? Hi-yo. Hi-yo? I'm Miyazaki. Hi-yo. Okay. Directed. Oh, no. The more I say it, the more I feel wrong. Anyway, Miyazaki directed 1986 Castle in the Sky. There you go. Um, Max it has <laughs> an original voice cast of Mayumi Tanaka, Kaika Yokozawa, Kote Hatsui, and Minori Tarada. Um, Mitch, yeah, for a little bit of a change, what's this movie about? Uh, the movie is about a lady who falls out of a plane or blimp, uh, and uh, a magical crystal stops her from splatting, and she's caught by a young boy. And the two of them then go off on an adventure to find the titular castle in the sky. Both of them are connected in some way uh, to it. Um, one of them is the heir to the throne, and the other is dad died looking for it. Um, you decide who has a better claim to it than the other. Guys, what do we think? It's a good movie. What? I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> Are you telling me the cult classic the Castle in the Sky, directed by Hayao Miyazaki and released in 1986, starring the people Max said is a good movie? I know, I know I'm going against the grain here, but I really enjoyed it, so sue me. In all honesty, I think this is, and I haven't seen all of his work, so that thing, but I think this is probably my favorite Miyazaki film. I've seen everything up to Princess Mononoke going But, but not spirited away. Not so. Or I haven't seen Spirit Moving Away. Castle. I've seen. Okay, actually, I have seen House Moving Castle as well because I watched a couple, like two, three, four Ghibli films. Oh, I've been watched right. out of order. I watched 
Princess Mononoke out of order before I started actually doing this, my my chronological watch. I watched House Moving Castle out of order before I did this chronological watch. Obviously, I've seen The Boy and the Heron. Spoiler alert. Is that a spoiler? Who knows? And if we <laughs> want to get like real technical, I've also seen The Red Turtle, which kind of counts. Uh, so I've seen four out of order, two of which are Miz- three of Miz- <laughs> Miyazaki's. And this is my favorite Miyazaki and Ghibli by dropping down because I don't think any Ghibli so far has really paired with his work, like being better. So I really like I like it as movie. I like the aesthetic. I like the childlike whimsy. Um, if I'd watched this as a child, though, it would have scarred me to shit because it is a bit terrifying and a bit wacky. Yeah, there's some intense themes. Yeah, this is actually so. Um, I, unlike Mitchell, have seen all of Miyazaki's work. Um, I've seen all of Miyazaki's work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you haven't seen Pom Poco with Ren- Tanuki's. You haven't used seen Pom Poco. He hasn't. I have. Get it together. Yeah. Tanuki's used their ball sacks to blind, to blind, to blind actually, truck drivers. It's such a sad movie for something so funny as like. I, re- the, I really know, didn't like that one, by the way. I, I didn't like it. God. Could not vibe. Um, but yeah, Max. Come yeah, this was, this was one of the later later films that I ended up watching just because I um, was introduced to Miyazaki when um, The Wind Rises was released. I think in twenty thirteen, um, and basically fell in love with him and his work, and went back and revisited his older stuff. And this being his um, third feature film that he's directed is uh yeah as a result meant that it was something that i revisited quite a lot later but it is a fantastic movie and i i think the problem with his work is that they're all well there is one movie i would point to and say it's not that good but it's not an original property um that's look of the third oh would would you say sorry jess oh the castle not a bad movie it's Which the one? castle cagliostro it's fine it's not bad but it's i don't oh, think it, I it, it holds water compared to um it's a very different vibe i feel like yeah um and like as a result like saying something like this movie is good is really just a exemplification of what he's been doing for his whole career and it, yeah, it really is a fantastic film with a lot of really interesting world building really nice character dynamics and relationships and yeah i mean miyazaki was um and his work was one of the reasons i wanted to go and study animation was because the work that he was doing was that influential on me and and the way that i approached looking at cinema and looking at how you can tell stories through a visual medium and i think he's really just a master in that field yeah 100 percent. like jazz what's kind of your history with miyazaki and his work oh i've yeah i've always loved him i don't remember the first one i watched but i remember seeing wind rises in the cinema like because that was so that was very exciting i think actually i feel like spruce in a way we had it on dvd and i just we just watched that so much in my childhood never got sick of it and then yeah just gradually kept watching more and more and i just have really good memories tied to some of those movies um, yep. I can't remember the first time I watched this one. This one I feel like was later on in my in my elder years uh, because I don't know. I don't know why. I just didn't seem that engaged with it. I think when I was younger, I feel like it's one of those ones that 
is probably further on the spectrum of like more adult. I don't know, just just because I feel like the story is a slower pace. You reckon there's a lot of like more mature. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's still got like two very young characters as the main characters, but I feel like when you compare it to some of the other ones, it's not as eclectic and like cookie crazy, if you know what I mean. Well, I guess because I think it's my, it might be in a bit of a weird spot because it's it's definitely not as dark as well. I guess the darkest as far as I've ever got with him is like Princess Mononoke. That's probably the darkest mm. I've ever seen him get, and I don't know if he ever gets darker than that in his stuff after that i don't I, as i as mentioned haven't really seen past that point house moving castle definitely doesn't get as dark as princess boy in there okay no uh, i mean i feel like the boy in the heron probably up there with boy some really probably dark comes close to princess Mononoke, yes. but still i still would think it's not as dark as uh yeah princess Mononoke. and i think that's why a lot of people like it because it's like this black sheep of his usually quite uplifting and happy work but with Castle yeah, in the Sky, know. it's not nearly as dark as that, nor is it as it. I'd say it probably is even not as dark as like Porco Rosso or something like that. But it's definitely not on like Kiki's delivery service or uh, yeah, or what's um um my neighbor Totoro. It's definitely a bit. It's not as bright as that either. It's definitely got a more uh what's the way I'm looking for um adult sensibility than those two those are definitely more what I would consider children's films. Yeah, which is, like, totally. Not, not not to diss them like. I mean, there's no, no, my, yeah, it's not but, a disc because some of those are my favorite ones of his. Exactly, but yeah, so I think Castle in the Sky kind of is in a weird limbo between his darker and lighter work. It's it's got a lot of the elements of his darker work, but also a lot of the elements of his more kid friendly, family oriented stuff. But as mentioned earlier, I I do think I'd be scarred because there's that scene at the very end where the a government agent just drops a bunch of dudes like out of um I can't I, th- I think it's mm. out of the airship like he just opened like lets them all slide out the bottom of an airship or something and they all fall to their death which yeah I mean watching that this uh t- well, not this year <laughs> this is a new year 2023 B- back in 2023 when I watched it you know that fall gone year uh that was, I was like damn uh, I know damn. so many people die <laughs> that's a lot so of many people. people die in this movie. Who, which falling to your death is terrifying. Like I know obviously drowning is like disgustingly horrible and it's painful, but like falling to your death while, you know, conscious is a terrifying concept because I mean you you have no way to stop it. And you it's We well, could have a little late magic stone. Well, you, yeah. if you're lucky to be the one person in the whole world who drops out of a plane and has a magic stone which most of the, I think almost every single person in that uh, scene is not because she's in a different section of the castle in the sky when it happens. Yeah, look, I don't know, man. Um, I mean, it's it's very telling of like his approach, Miyazaki's approach to filmmaking as well. He he's with exception of a couple of his films, he's he's never explicitly made um, animated films for children. I think this is like very characteristic of that it like the protagonists are children and have this sort of there there is an element of this like childlike wonder as you were sort of um putting it before mitch um but at the same time it still is a reasonably mature film with mature themes and i think it doesn't make it inaccessible to a younger audience but i think it's definitely um something that uh, that 
makes it enjoyable for, uh, as a cross sort of generational cross um uh doesn't really isn't really defined by an age group and um can be enjoyed by by adults and children alike um and i think that's like very much true given you know the first time i would watch this i would have been 10 or so years ago and it's still a film that i really like today um it's something that is and again, I'm, I feel like I'm going to keep saying this, but uh, it's very true across a lot of his films where he, he does explore some really interesting themes and tells, explores characters in a really interesting way. So it is stories that you can enjoy no matter what sort of point in your life you are. It's like that early Pixar where um a lot mm. of this, like the, it's not so much that it's uh a film made for kids to film made for families and that the stories aren't talking down to the audience and they're not trying to hit that you know that poop humor and stuff like that it's stories that are relatable to everyone and it's ideas and themes that almost anyone at any age can enjoy and so there's something there for everyone and you get you can get more the older you grow up but there's still that just that entertainment factor at that younger age too bad disney and pixar didn't keep that up but we're not talking about that today. Um, yeah. Uh, as main characters as well, I think these are possibly kind of my two of my favorite Miyazaki characters. I just, I really like them. They have really good chemistry and they're also just kind of really sweet and lovely. And I really like the dude's living living situation at the very start. He's in like that little, little house and, and he's got all those plans. And I'm like, I wish I could live that aesthetic. The cobblestone and paper i don't know would, would you guys live there uh i mean it's probably not like my go-to um well you can be i don't, I don't know it's if fine. i would i do love that like ghibli always seems to have these worlds where you're not really sure what like time period is it's just like this little it's always like a little village or something sort of mm-hmm. yeah it's not defined by time but i probably wouldn't survive they probably don't have a chemist or have like you know hay fever medicine or ventolin so uh, I probably wouldn't last long there. I don't have that issue, so I'd be fine. I'd, I'd probably fall off the roof. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like the he jumps off the roof into another roof. I think that was lucky. He was definitely above a really tall cliff. I totally would have just fallen off the roof. I actually, I'd probably hit my head on like a beam because I think it's like kind of small areas as well. So I'd probably just beam myself like clothesline while I'm running somewhere. Mm. Yeah. They really just make these worlds for children, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're so tiny. Like, I agree. They are very, the the two main characters are so lovely and they're so little, but like, yeah, <laughs> Pazoo is, he's so funny. I haven't watched the sub one in a while, but the dub I was watching and the voice actor, it, it was kind of jarring when I first watched it because he kind of has like more of a deeper voice. So when I was watching it, like he, Pazoo looks so young, um, and then you hear his voice and you're like, what age is he supposed to be? Is he just like a little short king or is he like, is he 12? Like, I don't know. So it kind of made it more charming because you're like, look at this fella, just independent life. He's got his dubs. It, it's, oh, true, yeah, the dubs. it's very charming. <laughs> I know. And he never comes back for the dubs. I'm sure that'd be fine. He lets them free, doesn't Destroy. he? He, like, lets, he lets them go. Okay. Yeah, true. Am I That's remembering that it wrong? There's some symbolism in there yeah. somewhere. Is, isn't, um... Oh, uh, wait, am I being an idiot? Hold on a second. I think I've done a stupid. I've done a bit of a stupid. No, hold on. Yeah, isn't he um voiced by a lady in the, at least in the um Japanese dub there? 
Um, uh, oh my god! Yes. So in the in the in the original Japanese, um, it's a Japanese Hazu, dub. <laughs> yeah, in the original Japanese. That's why um, I was confused what you were talking about. Sorry, in the it, original Japanese, not in the dub. <laughs> um, he's voiced by a uh, quite prolific Japanese voice actor. Um, she probably is most famous for now Monkey D. Luffy in One Piece. Um, no way. Um, For a Bart Simpson moment, huh? Legend. <laughs> but yeah, like she's been active in the in the Japanese voice acting industry for decades. Um, mm. And yeah. yeah, is like one of those actors that we're, we're not going to hear very much of over here in Australia, but yeah, incredibly influential and has a really like quite comprehensive body of work. It definitely makes sense that he would be voiced by a woman because he's supposed to be a young boy but in the, the dub he's voiced by james vanderbeek from dawson creek i've never seen dawson <laughs> creek i actually haven't either i just know that's his main one he's also in the show the bitch in apartment two uh two three which was robbed of another season so i stand by that was it cancelled that show yeah it was um cool. anyway it's a fun fact but yes Good characters, interesting um, choice. Of yeah, actors. you you get some inter- other interesting ones in the um English dub as well. Um, we've got Mark Hamill as Muska, who's the main villain. Um, who he sort of play? He's sort of this um other competing royal bloodline, royal descendant, and trying to take control of Napata to use it as a super weapon, effectively. It's a real Hamlet situation, huh? Not really, but you know, it's just funny. I don't, I don't remember the bit in Hamlet where there's like a big super weapon. Oh, uh, do you really want to go there? Because I don't remember the part in Hamlet where he's actually a lion and he has pride rock and all that stuff. So do you really want to go there, Max? Like, because we can just talk about adaptations all the time. I remember the part in Taming the Shrew where the person who's doing the taming is Heath Ledger. Yeah. Okay. So you want to go there, Max, really? Fine. That's a deep cut, by the way. That was, um, I was referencing 10 things ahead about you. Yeah. Um, we yeah, we, we feel- all knew. Everybody got you. It's for the listeners. Okay. I feel like every, know. every like single person. My mom might not have known last, that. And she listens. And then she'd message me and be like, what are you talking about? Who's gone to high school has, studied that movie as i didn't did you not? yeah no we studied um we studied um Mac, no julie romeo and juliet mm. the baz Luhrmann one well we studied the play and we watched a part of the baz Luhrmann one but okay. not actually all of it oh, which is good because i freaking hate that movie yeah nomeo and juliet's better shout out we've done this talk discussion we have before. talked about um, I don't know if it was on podcast or not, but we've definitely talked about this before. I think it was on the podcast. Oh my goodness! Um, um, great. We're not talking great. about this. We're not doing this. Anyway. I want to. I want to just briefly talk about the sort of vehicle design that um, they've got going on in this movie, and I feel like it really draws a lot of themes, visual themes from um, Nashka, which is the the previous movie, in this sort of like insectile sort of designs to them where they're like these big segmented um flying machines the little zippy little hovercrafty thing that the pirates mm-hmm. have all sort of look like little flies and Mizaki's not uh made it a secret that he is someone who like 
his respect of the environment influences his work. I just, I, I guess I want to know what your thoughts on like that and some of the other world, world design elements in this film are, because like, again, we've got things um, like the robots and the fox squirrel that have sort of become these almost icons of what is now the like Ghibli brand. Which is bullshit the fox squirrels from Nausicaa. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I, I want to I'm know your, your, your thoughts on that. Um, well, I think because one of the big themes that I got from this movie is very much not not so much man versus nature, but like humanity and nature, kind of how they coincide with each other and and like the advent of technology and kind of how that affects it a little bit. Like It's not as forefront as other things, but it's kind of in the background a bit. So the idea that a lot of the... Uh, tr- uh, transportation and, and and machinery that we see is very insectile and very n- nature looking. Kind of plays into that quite a bit. The how they've we've how the humans in this world have borrowed a lot from nature to craft what they're looking for. But I also because all the everything metal in this that isn't the giants looks kind of a bit grotty and a bit a bit yucko, mm. um, which I think goes a bit further to talk about like how we as humans are you know destroying what this natural beauty to craft these kind of uh symbols of of our you know continuing uh growth but also destroying what what is already here beforehand to do so and i don't know a bit depressor but it's it looks really good and the the um the way that uh like the comparison between a plane or a a tank versus the end where we're at the actual castle in the sky and how sm- smooth and kind of in tandemonium how like the, the the nature and the floating castle work together um it's a real good real good massage um mm. yeah if there's one thing that Studio Ghibli does right it's flying scenes like it's just so epic to watch just mm. them like flying around them like hanging off the side of something and then like it's just like it's so exciting to watch um and i love yeah i love the pirates set up i love the pirates in general them they're, they're the highlight for me personally um yeah i love by the end of it they're all just hanging on to like this tiny flying like it's all like all, all the stuff's falling apart they're hanging on to like one thing um i love that <laughs> it's like i feel like that happens all the time in animation that's like a comedy part where like mm. the villains are like stuck on the last like semblance of like an airplane and then they like fly off but they aren't villains it's like it's like a twist yeah. twistery that they end up being the good guys sort of i think that's a Another thing though that you just mentioned that I really like about this movie is the just the action adventure elements of it because I'm a I'm a big fan of the action adventure mm-hmm. elements of anything. Uh, as anyone who's listened to last week's episode would know, I, I placed uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, Honor Among Thieves as the, the best movie of 2023, which oh may or may God. not be a mistake. But the reason why I did it is because I am desperate for some good action adventure, just some fun like set pieces with characters who you like and want to see succeed. And you're like, are they going to succeed? And you know, they're going to succeed because it's a movie and it's not a movie that's depressor. It's a movie that's fun. So, you know, it's going to be okay in the end, but yeah, it's just nice to have a film that has these, you know, kind of uncharted esque. if anyone's ever played those games, like these uncharted action sequences where people are clinging onto airplanes and 
or yet these, jumping ship yeah. and everything. No, it's so good. Like h- half the movie is just them running away from someone. Like it's either the pirates or it's evil Mark Hamill. They're like always on the run. <laughs> Stuff's getting so much stuff gets destroyed in this movie. Yeah. Like even just in the village area with like the train tracks. Like mm. it's just fun to watch. It's a definitely yeah, definitely more of an action movie compared to some of these other stuff. Yeah. Um it's just a good watch. If that's your thing. I really like the guy who's in the mines and helps them in there. Um oh, I think so, he was I think he's my favorite character. character. He's he's probably he's my quirky. favorite. He's just uh, kind of a cool guy. He is, and he's just doing his own thing. He's no no fucks. <laughs> my no favorite fucks character, given. my favorite character, like obviously all the pirates and bad bitch mother pirate. But I also love her husband, who's just this like weedy little bug looking guy that's that like shovels coal and is like the mechanic of the ship. And he just he's just doing his thing. Yeah, he's living his Goals. best life. Yeah. Max, what's yeah, your favorite really character cool. in this movie? What's my favorite character in this movie? Um, yeah. I really like the the uh, what's his sorry, um, the engineer. Um, oh, Jazz's favorite. Oh, the, well, not Jazz's the, favorite character, but like <laughs> the husband of um the pirate lady. Yeah, Captain sorry, Doll's husband. I definitely I haven't been away from the mic to. To do eggplants. Um, you know, it would have been fine if you hadn't said anything, and now you said <laughs> no. something, and now the people are going to know that you were away to do the eggplants. I um, brought you in. See, I try. Yeah, I can. I can, I can. I can. Re, I can redo it. I'll choose a different character. Yeah, yeah. Do no, no. It's it's good that people know that we see this man and we respect him. No, he's really he's fun. He's really fun, and I really there's just a lot of charm about him, and the like similarity that he holds in i guess like pazu like had a father figure who um died looking for lapita then Mm. um sort of became involved with this boss figure that we don't really know a lot about but it is very apparent that he sort of acts as his father figure and now now that he's away he's on this adventure um and he's stuck on this uh ship full of pirates this like engineer who works in the boiler room sort of is almost familiar to him mm-hmm. in that sort of way and acts as his father figure towards him. And this is like, just it's again reflected when he's talking to, um, uh, um, I'm just like blanking on names. Um, uh, Dola, the, 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 um, oh, yeah. the, um, pirate, the, the oh. main pirate. Oh, the main pirate. Okay. <laughs> um, Shit. where Shit dog. he uh says to her that he'll he'll he's never going to be a pirate because he's he's too good hearted, pretty much. Um, and I just really like that, and the way that like he sort of becomes this sort of uh, capstone to that father figure for Pazu at the end of the film. Um, and he goes through a few of them. The the other one to mention would be. Um, Uncle Pom, who they meet in the caves. Um, it's my favorite character. <laughs> it's my favorite um, guy. Yeah, who also acts as a as a sort of guidance to to them on their adventure and um, their understanding of of this sort of new magical world that they're um, interacting with. And I think this film especially is is something that. And I know I know we're going to come back to this, but with 
the boy and the heron, but it does a really interesting job of tying together the real, um, as it were, world of the people living in it and this sort of mythical, magical um, world that's just adjacent to it. And Miyazaki really likes to play around with this idea. Uh, most of his films um, share some sort of version of this spirited away, obviously. The core plot point is that it's a sort of side little world from the real world, um, Princess Mononoke. It's a a film that came out 20 years ago. What do you want from me, Mitchell? uh, uh, A a warning. That's that's what I want. (laughs) It's pretty obvious what I want. (laughs) Princess Mononoke has a sort of like spiritual, magical side to it that's sort of distinct from the um, rest of the world um that exists and i i feel like this is a film that does that really excellently is obviously it's it's distinct it's ancient it's this power that no one really understands that they can respect and um perhaps understanding it isn't the end goal because the only character that we do we see do that is muska who only uses it for evil or self um uh like selfishness just use it yeah, for selfishness. That's the word I was looking for. And um, I just think it does a really interesting job of how it like sets up what is the real or what is the norm and how it breaks that, even though neither setting is a true real. Um, the the norm setting has flying blimps and planes that look like insects and rail systems that are suspended on these huge bridges that um, would probably collapse if they were built in real life and you just get this really interesting interplay with that and the way that that gets set up and executed i guess i'm a big fan of trains like train systems you look like you like trains what the fuck's that supposed to mean <laughs> exactly what you think <laughs> i feel like i just called called autistic <laughs> You look like yeah. You look like trains is your special interest. Like no, you really no, into like when you're them. younger. They're not my favorite thing of all time. Although yeah. I would, I I'll watch Unstoppable any day of the week. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Really, Max? You know what that is, no. right? No. What? It's the fucking. Can, are you serious? I can think of so many train movies. That's not one of them. Unstoppable is the Ridley Scott movie with Chris Pine and Denzel. Not Ridley. The other one, Tony Scott. Where, where there's a train that has chemicals and it runs away as trains are wont to do. And t- Chris Pine and Denzel Washington have to jump on top of this runaway train and stop it before it crashes and kills a lot of people. It's freaking sick. There's so, there's so many train movies, Mitchell. That's, that's the best the one. one. That's, that's the best it. one. Nah, Murder on the Orient Express. Fuck off. Fuck off. Are you serious? Merlin Orient Express, the bloated mess that Kenneth Branagh decided to add like 26 million scenes to to make it run for two it's hours. The, no, the old one. Are you kidding? I haven't seen that one. Get it together. I was going to no. go, tra- go Train to Busan. Nah, Train oh, to Busan. Oh, that's a good one too. Well, Train to Busan is great and I'll give it to you, but Unstoppable is better. What about train Polar Busan? Express? No, Polar Express is Merry a nightmare. Christmas. And we passed Christmas. We're not doing Christmas anymore. <laughs> Christmas is One done. Year, we did Wonka. Less than a year and till did... Christmas. Count down uh, the days. They say less than a year to Christmas. Are you serious? Yeah. Less like than a what? Year. Less than a, like it's a week off. A, a year, maybe a bit right. more. Well, someone's the Grinch over here. I I can't be the Grinch. It's not Christmas. It's impossible to be the Grinch. 
But then you can only be the Grinch for one day of the year. No, well, you can be the Grinch during the Christmas season. Well, define the Christmas season, Mitchell. December. Oh, I don't know. Late November, people are putting up trees. Yeah, people are getting way too gung-ho about it. They need to, like, slow their draw. <laughs> it's, I reckon there's, like, the the periods are just a big blur now. I was able to buy on special hot cross buns. Literally. On the fact they're the out The 1st of January. <laughs> um, it's not because, on. They, because they were, like, old. So yeah, I ate one. <laughs> I ate one. It was yummy. I like those hot crust buns. The chocolate no, they're ones. Great. Cadbury ones. They were good. It's like two bucks from Woolies. Two it was bucks. Because like, it was, yeah, a, yeah the, the old stuff they wanted to get rid of. Surely they realize that people just want to eat chocolate hot crust buns all year round. And so it's not really like, it's no longer like an Easter, like obviously it's an Easter thing, but it's not yeah, like an Easter you, thing. Then you, that's just like, really, it's just a chocolate muffin. But Yeah. But it's different. It's different type of bread because, like, a muffin's like a muffiny bread. Like, whereas hot cross buns are bread bread. It's like, like a, a, bun. a fruit toast, but like in a bun shape. Yeah. And sometimes I want a fruit toast, but with chocolate, and sometimes I want a chocolate muffin. <laughs> Actually, I never want a chocolate muffin. I'm a blueberry guy. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. White chocolate raspberry. White chocolate raspberry. Okay. I ever tell you about the time that I ate a white chocolate raspberry muffin and there was a worm inside? No. That's so awesome. Why? Mm. How? I, I don't know. I think it must have been in one of the... Was it um, half a worm or was it like a full worm? Well, I'm not sure. I don't remember. It was <gasps> a few years ago now, but I remember I got... Um, What'd you I was do? with my mom and she brought me a, a white chocolate raspberry muffin. I bit into it and I like looked at it and there was this like worm sticking out of it. I'm like, oh, did no, you I'd feel it on well. your teeth? Did it like, like slime I, your teeth? I honestly can't remember. I think I blocked out a lot of it. You probably no, blacked to, out from trauma. Let's relive these memories. Let's relive these traumatic <laughs> memories. So, did you? Do you reckon I'm like ready. you tasted some worm, like some worm slime? I mean, probably. Dude, I want to know what worm slime tastes like so bad without actually eating a worm. Probably like dirt and snot. Probably. Well, yeah. I don't know what that tastes like because I've not eaten snot nor dirt because I'm. Have a you good really boy. lived? Have you yeah, really Mitch, lived. You're just describing someone who's uncultured. I have a really bad immune system. Um, <laughs> you look like you have a bad. <laughs> Actually, no, I have a brilliant immune system. I so I was looking at with with, with this movie that we're supposed to be talking about. Um, uh, I really think there's um some serious Iron Giant uh, vibes going on with those oh, guys, tea. and I really think that they missed a beat getting not getting Vin Diesel into voice in the um, English dub. Um, when was the Iron Giant? Was that? I'm just looking it up now. I'm pretty sure. It might be 1999. Another 1999 yeah. alumni. <laughs> Hold on. Let uh, me yeah, check. I think we spoke about Iron Giant. I don't think um, we did. And I said the fun fact was that the voice of the boy is also in yep. Country Bears. Oh, you did talk about that. Mm, yeah. yeah, 99. I forgot um, about that. And I wish yeah, I yeah. continued to forget about that. To be fair, the robots in this film do not speak. Well, they could have, is all I'm saying. I kind of like that they didn't. I feel like it would have been too corny if they were no, like, I, hello. I think they should have pointed at um, the young boy and said, I am Superman. Superman. <laughs> they predict and then Iron off Giant. And flown off and rammed into the nuke. <laughs> Dude, that movie's I want to watch Iron Giant again. Yeah, Dude, I just want to watch it again. I'll cry. That movie I makes cry me every sad. time. <laughs> every time. So good. Cry every time. Max, do you um, cry every time? I I don't cry, but it's like a good movie. 
And so inspired by this sort of stuff, like pretty explicitly. Must have been. Now I'm split because I also don't cry, but I want to pretend that I do cry. <laughs> oh man. I cried Boy in the Heron. I probably cried Castle in the Sky. It's a sad movie. Remember. His dad I, died. I was doing some catch yeah, up. I, I was doing some catch up on, on the on the movies that you guys did. No, shut well. up. Don't talk about it now. Talk about it in the oh. mini media. Okay. Fuck you. Okay, Save it for sorry. the mini media. It was like relevant to what we're talking about. Well, keep oh. it in mind and we'll talk about it in the mini media. <laughs> Okay, Mitch, it is midi media. It's now just Mitch's midi media. Midi it's M&Ms. no one else's. It's mine. <laughs> um, um, but you know, I like the rolls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> roll too polite. Went oh, silence. Oh, no, I wasn't. I just said oh. I like robots. <laughs> okay, you look, anyway. I feel like if I'm gonna give, <laughs> if if I had to give a critique of this of Castle and Sky. I would say that they could have made the villain a little bit more slay. I feel like Musk is probably one of the most boring villains out of like Ghibli's discography. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't really, I just don't care for him. He's kind of a bit the most by the numbers, except for the parakeet king, but we'll get to that. But at least I- the parakeet king is a fucking parakeet. Musk is and just also a Dave dude. Batista. I, f- I feel like, with um, Muska, he um, we don't know a lot about him because he's sort of hidden behind the guise of the army for so long. And mm, the reveal at the end is very much like, oh, that's interesting. I would love to explore that a little bit more. Um, mm. But, yeah, obviously that's, that's not how this movie plays out. But, yeah, as him being a character who's competing lineage, he talks about that there were the family tree split 700 years ago i'm like oh that's intriguing and um i know uh, some of that's like politics again (laughs) i know some of that's meant to be left up to our uh, our sort of speculation and um Mm. i think the scene with the grave is really um uh scene where it does look good um (laughs) um where we don't know what the who the grave is for and um we can sort of mm. maybe work it out through inference but the idea that it's a place of respect is just implied and the characters understand that and it's used as a as a, a means to like humanize the the robots again um i think is really interesting um you know it would really have humanized the robots Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel would have humanized those robots. Hey, Richard, you want to do some scores? Yeah, let's do some scores, baby. Um, let's do guest first, because I know Jazz has something ready, as per uh, usual. Um, <laughs> you know, save the best till last. How about one of you? Ah, uh, so you? I'll go last, and you can go first. <laughs> Easy peasy. Listen, all right, I'm only human. I'm okay. only human after all. After all. All right, I'll go first. Um, I'm giving this movie a plane, a helicopter, a blimp, and a hang glider. That is four different types of flight-based vehicles. Hmm. I could have said parachute. Oh, that was, if that was a point five, would I give it a parachute? Because that's like mm. not flying; that's like falling with style. <laughs> Get it? It's Toy Story. <laughs> Joy. 
Um, I gave Castle in the Sky four fox squirrels out of the five that I'm fairly sure we see sleep on the giant. I like the fox squirrels. The fox squirrels are from Nausicaa. I know, and I agree, (laughs) but I like them. I like them. Um, listen, guys. (laughs) I have a rating. I just don't know how to make it fun. (laughs) I'm not fun. (laughs) Oh, well... Guys, this is the last time you're hearing your jazz on this podcast. Um, thanks for having me. <laughs> I've, uh, I've honestly pushed my luck too many times. Yeah. I, I thought after your fourth episode, you would kind of figured it out by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, What's the rating I'm... we'll brainstorm one together? <laughs> I was going to give it a four. I was okay. thinking something about pigtails because two of the characters have pigtails. That's four. <laughs> Two heads with two pigtails. It's four pigtails. I don't know. Four, four pigtails on characters. <laughs> um, okay, um, I'm giving my ra- my score is the amount of pigtails in the film. Four, four out of five. Sound off in the comments if whose score was the best. Stop. The, there's no comments. Stop. We've done we've done this bit. The bit's dead. I'm beating the, the bit until it's pulped. All right. That horse is dead, Jazz. Let it lie. <laughs> let it let it rest in peace. Um I was trying to think, hold on, because Mark Hamill is in hold on, give me a second. So Mark Hamill is in this movie. He's also in um Empire Strikes Back. Now mm-hmm. give me two more movies with Mark Hamill. Um The The Boy and the Heron. Shut up. Not that one. Uh, um, oh, wait, wait, that Star one. Give me that one. What is Star he in? Wars. He's already in. I already said Star Wars. I said Empire Strikes Back. No, 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 Star Wars. Are you saying new, A New Hope? The, the one that got renamed episode episode four. All right. Hope. Well, first of all, no one likes those people who are like, Star Wars. No one likes those people. It's A New Hope now. We have to live with it. Second of all, Kingsman. We can say Kingsman. So what we can do. Scooby-Doo on say, Zombie Island. What? <laughs> Scooby Doo on Zombie? Is he in Scooby Doo on Zombie Island? <laughs> That's the best one, not the second one, right? No, the first no, one? it's the animated one. It's not that, not the. Um, no, I'm not talking about the. One. I'm not talking about the live action. I'm talking about Zombie oh. Island. Well, oh, sorry. Is it the second one or first one? Because there's two Zombie Islands. There's like Return to Zombie Island, and there's um. I think this is the first one. That's a good one. That's a really good movie, by the way, guys. Recommendation: Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. Probably one of the best Scooby Doo movies out there. Okay. Uh, but if we get. I can I can work with I can work with um Kingsman four movies where people fall out of sky based things with Mark Hamill because <laughs> <laughs> uh people fall out the the sky castle sky in the uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Luke Skywalker falls out of Bespin in the the, the city in the clouds in Force not Force Awakens. Album movie. Empire Strikes Back. Thank you. Uh, what was the third movie I said? Wayne the Heron. Uh, there's, there's budgies. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna roll, like, I'm I'm rolling the clip. Oh no, no, I'm not done. I need to explain Kingsman. Um, <laughs> and, Let and him then, cook. And then there's the, the part in Kingsman <laughs> where um, Agent Lancelot goes into the atmosphere and and Ro- Roxy also. She goes into the atmosphere and shoots the satellites down. That's also a spoiler. Sorry for spoiling. Yeah, you really should. You really should have started that with 
1,500 spoilers. Only what? Hey. Son of a bitch. You fucking son um, of a bitch. I'm going to pause. I just need to, I need to quickly go do the He's thing. He's got to cook. Let him cook. <laughs> you need me to you. Oh, shit. Oh, no, I got this. I got this. Oh. <laughs> I didn't realize we were recording. Um, oh. Hello. I, as mentioned, it'd be nice if you told me, but, you know, you never do. Sorry. Spoiler alert. For what? For what? Hey. Stop playing the fucking thing. Um, what are we doing? Oh, Jazz Max and Mitch's <laughs> Mini Media. <laughs> I need. I can do a better version of that. Hold on. Okay, guys, check it out. The whimsy. It's coming over me. I'm. I'm getting all whimsical. <laughs> Hey guys, it's me, Whimsical Mitch, and I'm here to introduce Jazz Max Mitch's Mini Media. <laughs> Perfect. Ooh, we nailed it. First try. Max, do you want to go first? Whimsical. Since you haven't done a Mini Media in a while. I can go first. I'm ignoring first. you guys. I'm ignoring. Okay. Whimsical Mitch is a character that's sticking around. <laughs> I'm, I can go first. I, I have many been so median i've i've been in the land of the media he, he's not, media coded i'm so me so media he's media maxing right now get it he's 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 max. well, i'm going to talk about something contemporary and relevant rather than something i saw that no one else can go see because it's in japan ah, like, yeah, unless you go to japan and do that because yep. it's fun i'm going to talk hey, about we get it I'm you gonna talk away. about, and then, and then we're gonna. I'm gonna hope that we don't do, don't don't cross over with anyone else. I'm gonna talk about uh the new Disney Disney Plus limited series, but it's not really a limited series. The new Disney Plus show, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. It's not limited. How could it be limited? It's gonna have multiple seasons. Well, it's gonna be limited at some point. That's not how limited works. <laughs> Everything's limited. Think about it. Think about no, it. Yeah, everything everything's limited, which means there's no point in putting the limited um, prefix in front of it unless it's actually limited. Well, it's it's Netflix, so it's probably limited to two seasons. It's uh, Disney. Well, it's, it's a streaming service, so it'll be limited to two seasons. Hey, Stranger <laughs> Things is getting its fifth season. We can reach five seasons of Percy Jackson. Yeah, how many seasons of Big Mouth was there? Like seven. Yeah. And the, I'm, and I'm the so side glad that you know that off the top of your head. Show. No, I don't know. Hold on. He loves might Big be more Mouth. Than that. I love Big Mouth. Um, <laughs> it's... Oh, uh, set, yeah, it started in 2017, and it's still going. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh, yeah, season seven's this year, I think. Yeah. No, last year. Season seven's out, baby. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to anyway. talk about... I'm going to talk about the new Disney Plus original... Uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, based on the book series of the same name, what's uh, the name? Rick Riordan, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Oh, that's the book name. Is the book series name? Gotcha. That's it's you can't you can't trip me up, Mitchell. I wasn't tricking you. I know I know all your tricks. I don't have any tricks. I know it's all of your tricks. Name one trick. Um, trying to trip me up by saying that I said the name of the book wrong when I was saying the name of the series. I didn't say you said the name of the book wrong. Um, <laughs> Guys, just kiss and make up, please. please. We tried, but his girlfriend keeps getting in the fucking way. 
Um, no, it's good. It's a pretty um, – it's three episodes have come out so far, and um, it seems to be a pretty faithful adaptation of the books uh, with a couple of small changes here and there. Yeah, he flosses. He flosses um, in one point to date it. Uh, <laughs> date it three years Aww. ago. <laughs> um, but uh, Rick Riordan's on the writing team for this project, um, which is really good to see that they've brought – the original author. I know, Mitch. Um, you and I grew up reading um, Percy Jackson. Yeah, um, Jazz wasn't born yet. Um, so you weren't born. You weren't born until like when the most recent book came out this year, last year. You weren't born until last year. Yeah, you know, I've just matured for my age. We're just really trying uh, to get that. We're trying to get that younger audience. So we put yeah. Jazz in <laughs> literal baby Jazz. Yeah, Gen Alpha. Skibbity toilet, am I right? <laughs> Kids. <laughs> um, a reference all our parents will understand. <laughs> um, but but um, you know, flossing aside, it it does seem to be quite fun, and yeah, um, it takes what made the book so fun to read, and um, sort of keeps that as well as sort of keeping it in sort of style that's not too dissimilar to the style of show that was coming out at around the time the books were which sort of gives it this like semi-nostalgic feel which is nice um as well as someone who is um watching this as a bit of nostalgia for the books so yeah it's coming out week by week on disney plus i will probably watch the rest of it the one thing i find really weird about it is that it has weird spots where it goes to black as if for an ad break, but it's a show made for streaming, which means there's no ad breaks yet because obviously we're starting to get ad breaks in. Like Prime's about to put ad, ads into their thing, mm. and Netflix hasn't. I don't know how that. Would, I don't know how the ads work on Netflix because I'm uh, rich and I can afford not the ad version. But yeah, it's just like why are these weird black fade to black? fade back out not fade cut to black cut back out in there it just it, mm. fury, it, it kind of frustrates me because that's only there for when shows have ads that they have to deal with but the show doesn't have ads to deal with i don't know i thought it was fine jess have you seen it i've not seen it i never really got into the percy jackson like fandom i never read the books i did watch the movie which is you know unanimously hated and it was yeah pretty average I'm not gonna lie, I actually like the movie. Yeah, but that's because you're wrong. I just have. Did fun. you read the books? I, yeah, I did read the books. I read. Oh. I read all of Percy Jackson. I read all the uh the 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 Kane Chronicles, and I read all of Heroes of Olympus. And I read the first three chapters of the Mag first Magnus Kane book, Magnus Chase book. Magnus Kane's a different person. Magnus Chase book. Uh, so I've read. I, I look. It's just the first movie's fun. Second movie is dog shit. I I I will happily admit the second movie is garbage, but the first movie has its charms. It's not good. Let's go. It's not a good charm, but it's a charm. There's something there. It's it's maybe just another slightly shinier dog shit, but who knows? Anyway. Oh, yeah. What's your mini media? I'll have to check out the show. Okay, my mini media. (laughs) Yeah. My mini media that I have prepared is that. Uh, Christmas rolled around, you know, the time of giving, and I got a wonderful new gift. <gasps> I got an air fryer. 
listen, okay? It's gonna make sense. We're so really pushing I, the limits of mini media here. <laughs> I got an air fryer, not to flex. Clearly, don't own an can air fryer. I don't get it. What? Yeah, can it can it run Doom? Can it run Doom? I it could probably burn it, melt it <laughs> into it could cook a, the, a cartridge of Doom. <laughs> it could definitely cook it. Anyway, so I've gone down the rabbit hole of um, air fryer recipes online. There's one of brie wrapped in prosciutto. It looks that really good. Nice. So yeah, nice. might be a sweet treat to explore. Sweet. There's but, nothing sweet about brie or prosciutto. Um, if I put honey on it, then yeah, it is sweet. Well, that's a completely different. That's a, that's a completely different well, ingredient that you didn't mind. mention before. <laughs> Just open your mind, okay, to the possibilities of an air fryer. I'm happy and to admit that there could be honey on it. It's just that you didn't say it before. So I feel like I was justified in what I said. <laughs> and I know that there's a little bit of a cult with air fryers with, like, middle-aged women, like, middle-aged, <laughs> like, wasps women um, that, like, have, like, a Facebook group and, like, talk about – they, like, exchange and share air fryer recipes. It's actually a very beautiful – I just want to put it out there. Air fryer is is like the contemporary Thermomix. No, I'd say the Thermomix is still the contemporary Thermomix. I don't know, because I I reckon I hear about air fryers the same way that I used to hear about Thermomixes. You've moved into different circles, because I think think air fryers are for our generation, really, where Thermomix is still for the older generation, yeah. I feel like an air fryer is very millennial. I own one. Yeah. I guess you're a millennial at heart. I'm not a millennial. Well, you own one. Yeah, but I'm cool about it. I'm like wrapping prosciutto in brie. Okay, I'm not just cooking. Apparently throwing honey in there as well. Like that's going to make a mess. Not if I put parchment paper on the bottom. Do you mean baking paper? Actually, I don't think you're supposed to do that. I'm still learning the rules of the air fryer, okay? It's it's an extensive menu. Just put a whole jar of honey straight in the air fryer. I put baking paper. Just char grill it. Char grill honey. um, on the um things, I couldn't be bothered cleaning the uh. Yes, yeah, so over. So I put baking paper on. Well, there you go. It's a little fun life hack for you. Anyway, that's my mini media. Is also, the rabbit also, hole that is the, the poor middle-aged women <laughs> who have a hobby with their air fryer, and you're like, it's a cult. Um, it's an it's air fryers or dehydrators. You're one of those, or you're who both. Owns a dehydrator. My mother does, and she was obsessed with. Dehydrating fruits. Let Gen- middle-aged women have their enjoyments. I'm letting them, but I'm just letting them know that it's mildly unhealthy. What, do, do you have something they're passionate about? I know, but like dial it it's back. Like, it's like when you do. It's like it becomes like it consumes everything you do. Like running a yeah. podcast where you like spend all of your time <laughs> uh, watching movies and recording and editing um, a, a, a podcast to. Uh, for your self enjoyment, is this a cry for help? And some, and some people go like, "Oh, maybe you should like check, make sure that you're doing this in a healthy way." Now, and we're like, and people who do that are like, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm sorry, my ears <laughs> just like very, very Hold on, I, I think I got tinnitus. Hold on. <laughs> cool, I'll do All mine. Right, Mitch, I guess. What's your mini media? <laughs> we're just dying uh, to know. I was going to review the book Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell because I finished that um, recently. But instead, I'm going to review um, 
the uh, works they're doing in front of Melbourne Central and the fucking trams that they've ruined Uh-oh. there. Because um, I had to like walk a really long way. I had, so anyone who lives in um, Melbourne will know kind of where Melbourne University is and in mm-hmm. kind of in relation to that where Melbourne uh, Melbourne RMIT, RMIT is and uh, Melbourne Central, which are kind of in the same area. Uh, the trams where, where I live are currently running from, uh, they stop at Melbourne Central, so I have to walk from Melbourne Central to... No, fuck, not Melbourne Central. They stop at Melbourne Uni, and I have to walk from Melbourne Uni to Melbourne Central to get to work because I live in, I work in that area. Um, mm-hmm. It's fucking bullshit, and it's like this until like the 10th of January as well. It's currently the, sec- the 3rd. Uh, that's a long time. I'm working every single day in January, so I'm just like... Const- I have to take a different tram to get there, but that tram stops at Parliament, and that's not really as close... As I'd like mm. it to be, but it's definitely closer than walking from Melbourne Uni. This is, yeah. Is this I only like- found out about today as well when they were like really rude about it because the, the doors opened and they were like, all right, get off. I shouldn't say that word. Um, all right. Hey, Prince, come on. Bleep, bleep it out. Uh, yeah, well, maybe I will and maybe I won't. But they're like, all right, pricks, get off. And I went, oh, okay. And then I did. And then, but the, you, know what the, you know what's worse though? Not only are they doing work on those like tracks, because they're doing it on like a intersection. So it's like going both ways. And that means that you can't actually cross the road there either. So you have to walk up to the next road, which is either up, which is up a hill to get to an intersection that you can actually cross at. It's like really annoying. Hey, hey Mitch, have you heard of my favorite city pastime? Uh, what's your favorite city pastime? It starts with J and ends with walking. No, no, no! It's cordoned off. You can't get in. Um, that's just what they want you to think. No, it's what they. It's what I actually think, and it's what I know because they have big machinery going off, and and I know I'll get in trouble because there's a lot of science just, that says don't do this. Just walk through with an air of, air of confidence in a high vis. Walk jacket. through what yeah, the fence? I was just gonna there's say it's in the way. There's a big fence in the way. Like a massive fence in the way. I mean, there's, you're going to get in somehow. Yeah, but not through the fence. Borrow under. But you're <laughs> like right. Borrow rabbit. under through the tarmac <laughs> and gravel and concrete. I'm, I'm so ready to go. They called me Borrow Man uh, in, um, in primary school, but that's only because I would constantly talk about Captain Jack Harkness. Because uh, I love John Barrowman, who plays Captain Jack Harkness in Doctor Who. So, uh, oh God, Steve. are you excited for the new Doctor Who? I am not up to date, so no. Okay. <laughs> no, he actually he looks no the, the 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 tiny little amount of like uh, Judy Gatwa that I've seen. He looks great, and I'm really excited for his run. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get up to date so I can watch it. Because while part of me thinks you could just skip and get to where you're interested. The other part of me is autistic and is saying, no, you have to watch everything beforehand before you get to that yeah. part. Uh, so, yeah, I've undone myself once again. Anyway, uh, the point of all of this is read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's a good book. It's about a thousand pages long. All um, right. But it's really good. It, I really recommend it. The, the last third does kind of drop the ball a little bit, but overall it's pretty good and i think you'll get a lot from it and maybe you'll even enjoy the last third more than i will i have my own like specific issues with that last third but i feel like it's just me being a dip not really 
actual literary issues that are the problem. Oh, cool. Um anyway, uh let's move on to the next film. Yeah. Unless anyone else Oh wait. <laughs> it's fine, we moved on. You um, said to move on. So I no, we, moved on. I'm not blaming you. you I'm not blaming you. I'm I'm not blaming you this time. It's fine. I was it? just gonna say I was going to ask what else did people get for Christmas, but we've moved on, so we're not doing that anymore. Um, <laughs> Christmas is over, apparently. Nah, well, Christmas is over. I'm the Grinch. No, I'm not the Grinch, because it's not Christmas time, and you can't be the Grinch you just if it's not Christmas it. time. If it's not Christmas time. You can't be the Grinch if it's not Christmas Yeah, that works. Um, Jazz, you're up. Um, oh, give me a minute. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't need to have a pull of my... <laughs> I totally forgot I have a role in... In, Surely um, you know the name of the movie, the, the director, and the year it came out. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Without looking at your iPad. I need the screen. I need it. Okay. I require the, the screen. Boy, the Boy and the Heron released 2023. Last year. God, we're out of date, guys. We need to catch up. Um, directed by Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli, taken away with the cast, Max. Um. The Japanese language cast uh, starred Soma Santoki, Masaki Suda, Amyon, Soshino Kimura, Takuya Kimura, Shohai Hino, Koshibasaki, Kairo Kobayashi, Jun Kunimura, and the English cast, because I want to do the English cast as well, because it's actually mental. Uh, we have Luca Padavan, Robert Pattinson, Karen Fukuhara, Jama Chan. Christian Bale, Mark Hamill, Florence Pugh, Willem Dafoe, and Dave Batista. Mitch, what is this film about? I'm still Dave not Batista? sure. I said Dave. I said Dave Batista. Batista. Bautista. Bautista. I'm sure. Anyway, my, my vows. <laughs> um, I just wanted to be mean because you've done that to me, and so I wanted my turn. What's this movie about? Uh, a little boy's mum dies in a fiery inferno uh, during World War II in Japan. Ooh. And so, um, like, the Chad that his dad is, he marries his the sister of his dead wife, and then they move out to the where the factory that his dad owns is. And in doing so, the boy meets a, a, a heron that is a real sassy and leads him into a fantastical world filled with murderous birds and murderous birds and birds and a girl who's on fire she kills birds there's a lot of birds in this movie wouldn't you know um so Max and I have seen this movie twice. Um, how many times have you seen this, Jazz? I have only seen it once. I right. I wanted to go and watch the dub recently to like mm. rush out by. Just ran out of time. I will definitely be watching it again because I really want to hear like you know the dub version and like hear Willem Dafoe be a pelican. Um, but yes, only once. Sorry, call me a pleb. Pleb. <laughs> uh, Max and I saw we actually watched it both times together oh bless uh, we watched it once in Japanese when it first came mm. out oh actually not even when it first came out like slightly two days before it did because we it went was saw it advanced preview screenings in Australia yeah, yeah. 
um, oh, which was about the was... same time it came out in just normally in America. Um, so sad. And then a couple of days ago, on like I think it was January first, right? Monday, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we went and saw just to like refresh our minds because that was a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. We went and saw the English because we were also were curious what the English sounded like because of the yeah. insane cast. So we went and saw that. Um, so the most recent version we watched was the English one. Um, yeah, it nice. dropped. I, I liked it less the second time. Oh, um, no. Do you think it's because of the dub or just the story? No, I think I got more irritated with what actually happens in the story the second time than I did mm. the first time. But before mm. I rant, how about we talk about what's good about it, which means Max is going <laughs> we'll to have to lead this conversation. I'm going to make a shit sandwich. Um, yeah. No, I actually I disagree with you there. I actually think you there's a lot more to get out of this um, film on a, on a rewatch. It's a really surreal um, experience is is the way I would describe this film. It's the totally. most surreal um, film that Miyazaki's done and that is both in part due to um, the nature of the film itself and the sort of settings that it takes place, visual style that accompanies that, but also the sort of vagueness of the themes um, that he's tackling and it definitely brings a level of clarity on a rewatch having an understanding of where the film is going to go so you can spend a little bit more time in each moment mm-hmm. and um i think um effectively what this film is is a really interesting study of a character going through um really intense grief and that that grief is his um mother dying in hospital fire particularly him feeling like he's responsible because he was unable to um save her from that despite the fact that he was not in a position to be able to do that um and a lot of this film is sort of almost representative of um how he approaches um overcoming or um coming to terms rather with this grief that sits with him and the reality that's catching that um he sort of has to readjust to with his new life with his father and his mother's sister um and the child that he like feels as sort of an anomaly because of obviously his relationship to his father and his father's relationship to his mother and his mother's sister and i think overall it does really interesting um, job at tackling these themes without saying like this is the answer to grief which i think is good i don't think it's necessary that everything needs to be said explicitly and um miyazaki knows this and he's shown this before and this really is just another i think excellent example of of him tackling some really heavy ideas in a way that is the most outlandish that we've seen from him and i think as a result you get this really interesting um and dynamic film oh yeah i second preach, that preach brother preach to the choir <clears throat> yeah i i really enjoyed it um i at the time i was watching it i was a bit like huh like was lost and kind of like i almost felt a little bit of frustration because i wasn't understanding it but then it ended and i was like you know what I enjoyed watching it. At the end of the day, that's what matters, that it was like 
that I loved the characters and it was visually beautiful and it brought out emotions in me as every film does, I cried every movie, but this one as well. Um, and yeah, it doesn't, not all that has to make sense will be explained. And I totally feel like there's so much symbolism in it that I just probably went over my head. So I'm really excited to watch it a second time and I'm sure someone's going to like pop out of like sick ass video essay about it that's gonna you know really tie it in a bow and I'm gonna uh, inhale that and better understand it cool yep sounds good you're such a hater I'm not a hater I haven't said anything wrong what the vibe it's enough the vibe's enough I just find it really weird that she like absolutely lathers that bread with the jam like why did oh, she put so much on? So good. Are you kidding? No, it, it, I hate getting really sticky and gross when I eat, and that was like horrible. Cause he like smushes his whole face into it. It's like, dude, chill the fuck out. And she's like, make sure you eat it before it dribbles down. It's like, well, how about you make sure you don't accidentally do, like put on a fucking uh like stock <laughs> stockpile of jam onto that bad boy. You know, we're in a war, right? We could use that. <laughs> You're willing to accept the the army of 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 paracate guys, yes. but you're not willing to accept the this the bread that has a little bit too much jam. It's not a little bit too much. It's a fucking it's it's a fucking stockpile that a whole country could use. A, a small African nation could use that to feed themselves for for years. She puts on that piece of bread, like. Damn, what I'm, are they doing? I'm so, I'm so excited for you to watch the the scene in Ponyo with the ramen. Oh, <laughs> is it sticky and the, it, do they get sticky and yuck? Um, there's lots of slurping that I feel like you might not appreciate. No, slurping's fine. Um, I don't mind slurping. It, my issue isn't so much how much she actually put on. Oh no, it is. But the issue is more <laughs> that like the amount of bread there was versus how much she put on was it's not worth it. it's just jam just eat the jam at that point don't bother with the bread it's too much jam why um <laughs> lather it let a, mo- let a mother feed her son how she's about not that? a mother yet she's 12 yeah but she, she said she was 12 <laughs> <laughs> um there's just- that meme of me <laughs> There's this really interesting um, phenomenon, not phenomenon, but style that um, uh, Japanese animation has. But um, and I, is it really yummy food? It's it's not it's it's not specifically really yummy food, but Miyazaki does this very well, and that is um, showing things as they feel rather than as they are, and the point, the place where most people point to. Mizaki's work and say this is the way that he deals with water, um, especially with like um, characters who cry. It's non-naturalistic. It doesn't look like someone crying. The like water is too big and too like jelly-like. It's described as almost being the way that it's meant to feel um, while crying. In the same way that I feel like this jam on the bread, it's not meant to be that's a literal amount of jam on the bread. It's about how you would imagine eating a really great piece of bread with jam on it. That's not how I'd imagine eating a really great piece of bread with jam on it. 
I'd imagine a lot less jam and not getting my face absolutely disgustingly like grotty from it. It's artistic license, Mitchell. How about he artistic license some appropriately jammed bread? Ever thought of that, Miyazaki? I'm calling you out. That's what I thought. Anyway, sauce is um, that's actually not the biggest problem I have with this movie. Um, <laughs> the biggest problem I have with this movie is that the main character does fuck all. He's literally inconsequential, basically, for most of this um, plot. Uh, he kind of just rocks up, things happen at him, and then the movie ends. And I find that very frustrating because at the start of the movie, he actually does stuff. And then he just, once he enters the fantastical world, he kind of just becomes a passenger. And that's a, that's something I find very frustrating in any movie ever is just when the main character doesn't need to really be there or their, their, their presence there is really all they are. It's just a presence and they're not really driving the story forward, forward. Cause obviously there's like the quest to go find the, um, the aunts and like, he's obviously driving that part, but the actual problem solving behind getting there and the, um, like the tasks because he you know first off he gets pushed through a door a golden door with a bunch of pelicans does he fight off the pelicans no so um florence Pugh rocks up and uses a magic fire wand and stops him uh then they go off and then also the pelicans are then eating little dudes who look like kind of like the white dudes from princess mononoke but also cuter and they're floating up and he's like oh cool but the pelicans they get eaten they start eating and he's, he does nothing he just watches as as his mom burns them away and then they move on and the, the heron is like let's go and then they go to the blacksmith's house and he rocks up and as an idiot he just walks in and he's like oh these budgies want to help me they don't of course they don't he just got told that they're gonna eat him why would he believe them when they're like follow me they're obviously evil i knew that i'm a dummy anyway he doesn't save himself there either his mom rocks up to save him once again then she gives him the really big piece of bread with too much jam which we've already gone into too much detail about. Then they go to the tower, and I guess he climbs it, but then also, well, no, that's actually afterwards. He goes in, he doesn't figure out how to get in, she shows him how to do it. Um, I'm forgetting what else happens. It's just time after time, he doesn't make any decisions or make any problem-solving abilities. He just is there, and another character does it for him. He doesn't rescue himself after he gets captured from by the budgies. The heron rocks up again. Yeah, it's like, and I know that when I mentioned these problems, Max, you and Mr. Manager were like, well, that's like life because this movie is actually called How Do You Live? And sometimes you don't have any agency in your life. Guess what? I don't want to watch life. I want to watch a movie with fun and a character that does something. So whether or not it's deliberate or not, I don't think it works. (laughs) I don't know if I agree that he doesn't do anything. I feel like he does. I mean, at the start, he doesn't know where he is. But then he, like, makes the decision to go into the birthing room and he's not allowed to be in there. And then he faces the consequences for that. And then he sort of defies his, like, great uncle or whatever because he's like, I don't want to rule this. And the guy's like, you gotta. And he's like, not who. Because he knows that he has, like, malice in his heart and he doesn't want to. It is an exaggeration to say he makes no decisions. I was exaggerating, but, and I did say that at the start, he pushes, he's, he's pushing the story at the start a lot, which is why it's disappointing that I feel like he loses a lot of his agency at the back end of the film. He does make the decision to say no to his great uncle. I will admit to that. And he does make the decision to walk in to the uh, birthing room. However, he did not get himself to that birthing room. Someone else did. 
He how's he didn't... supposed to know how to get there? He's never he been there be before. Doing so... Look, I'm That's happy like with characters being helped. Movies. No, you, you're missing a lot of what I've talked about here. The point is, I don't care if characters help other characters that's what an adventure film is about it's about a main character being held by other characters but ultimately they need to be doing something that also like in harry potter right he's got his trio of friends and the trio of friends help him a lot but ultimately it is really harry who saves the day and does all that stuff obviously not a complete direct parallel because this isn't a movie about saving the day but this character is no he doesn't have the same anything like harry potter does it's it's frustrating because i don't like watching it's I feel like I'm watching a character just be led around by the nose and then he's like, oh, while I'm here, I'll fuck this up while I'm doing this. Whoops, fucked up. Guess I'm captured now. Don't worry, Robert Patterson will rock up. It's fine. Oh, my grandpa wants me to build a tower? Nah, don't wanna. Will I do anything? No, the budgie king will actually be the one who does anything and is like the instigator of why that scene ends. It, that's my problem with yeah. this movie. There you go. <laughs> I do like it though. It's nice. He's not my favorite main character because I think that he he is a lot more reserved, like just as a person. Um, mm. But I still felt a lot for him, and he was he was interesting. Like like when he like hurts himself with the rock, like that was very surprising. Like. Obviously, there's dark themes in Studio We've talked about it. But, like, hmm. seeing that was, like, so jarring. And and the fact that he was, like, still wounded from it for, like, a long time. It was, like, yeah. it was a nice touch that, like, yeah. And, like, the whole de- idea of him knowing that he, him feeling like he has something, like, evil inside him or, like, he feels sort of, like, broken or, or something. Um, I really liked I don't know. I just liked it. And I don't know. I feel like there's movies like, you know, Alice in Wonderland where she's definitely being led around by like other people, I don't but like, like that's a like, classic. Okay. So there's a theme. Like that movie. There's, maybe there's an issue with you and no. not that type of storytelling. Why is that? Why is my, why am I the issue here? Why can I not enjoy that type of storytelling? Why do I have to like it just because everyone else does? You have to. Why? Why? Explain to me why I have to like a story where a main character does fuck all. Um, uh, when you, when. That's my point. Okay. I'm not saying that this is a bad movie because of it. I'm saying this is something that frustrates me specifically. Okay. Other people can enjoy it. Definitely. But this is what I find really infuriating about this film and what I think lets it down from being as good as uh, Miyazaki's other work is that the main character isn't nearly as agent isn't doesn't have nearly as much agency as his other characters do. I my I know and I know you've you've said and you've rebutted this, but I, I just don't think it matters. I I think there's there's I think enough. that's such a hand wavy that's such a hand wavy thing for my criticism. Like, oh it doesn't matter. Fuck you, Mitchell. I'm not, doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not saying that your opinion doesn't matter. I'm saying that for my enjoyment of the film, how about sure. this one? For my enjoyment of the film, it doesn't matter to me, um, because we're seeing the the film is really like multi layered and multifaceted, and as a result, you get all of these interwo- interwoven ideas and um, themes about what it means to um like be a person what it means to go through grief what it means to live in 
um, wartime Japan, what it means um, to have to give in to things that you don't understand and what it means to take responsibility for things that um, you don't feel like you want to. And I feel like the small, although I think like you say that he doesn't make any decisions, I feel like the decisions that he does make, that, that Mahito does make, are really influential and really important in driving the progress of the story. I feel like the rest of what happens is almost consequential of his initial choices. He chooses to pursue the heron. He chooses to enter the building. And as a result, he um, enters this world. He chooses to enter the delivery room. And as a result, he is punished as uh, punished accordingly. He chooses to refute the um, charge that um, the, the tower master has given him. And um, as a result, um, the, the, in a roundabout way, the the world there is destroyed. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of not him not necessarily being an active protagonist, but I think this is partially due to the ex- experiential nature of the film as well as the fact that it's trying to tackle these really big ideas alongside the um uh the idea that um i know mizaki has talked about before which is these moments of um stillness or silence where it gives the audience and the character a chance to contemplate on what's happening in the film and i feel like there's um, an abundance of this because of how intensely it drives these ideas at you. Um, and as a result, it gives off this impression that is almost the character doesn't have a lot of agency. Um, whereas, I don't know, I, I don't see it as him not having agency. I see it as extended consequence almost. So you're saying most of the movie is just consequence then for actions? Well, I, I, like, and I, I, as you said before, the alternate title, the, the original title um, is How Do You Live? Um, I just had a look quickly through the um, the brief summary at the top of Wikipedia. It's the plural, mm. um, the Japanese plural you, so as in you so all. Everyone, so yeah. how, does, how does everyone live or how, do you, how does everyone else live? And um, it's really, it's just a part of... Or, part of the film and a, a lot of the film as is a like dissection of this uh, is a dis- dissection of what are the means and motives and desires of other people what what does it mean to be responsible what does it mean to um exist in a in a troubled in a world that's not perfect and like there's points at which you can like show this is the symbolism for that the the tower of of blocks is like symbolic of the fragility of the of life and experience and the like sort of the surrealism is a represent is a symbol of the chaos of like you and you can like go through and pick it apart like that but uh, i just 
I know I'm I'm talking about this in a roundabout way, but I feel like the like at the end of the at the end of the day, the story is about this character, this character's life, and the experiences this character has, and not necessarily um, something where the character has to make an active decision at every moment. I mean, I don't need them to be actually making an active decision every moment. I just need them to solve some issues, problems, which they don't do. He doesn't do. He's just a boy with his heron. He's just a boy. <laughs> no, but there's a lot of there's a lot of um movies where like there's children involved and they have, you know, agency and they have, you know, they make serious decisions and they they um problem solve. I don't think him being a boy gives me an excuse to not solve problems. <laughs> He's saying these things, but I just don't agree. He's such a problem solver. He used that feather. He was like Stealing rice so, that, and making glue. I've, I've already covered that. I said at the start he does a good job of this. I said it's at the back end once he it's enters the fantastical world he 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 loses his agency. That's I've I've said this already. But maybe I that's agree. part of the film, bro. Maybe I, I he don't loses think his agency it's good. It's I don't think it. that's good storytelling. Whether or not that's deliberate or not doesn't mean I have to agree with it. I think it's bad storytelling. So I don't, would would you say that the scene where he buries the pelican? Would you say that's a moment of agency? I would say that is a moment of agency. I would, I'm, I'm not, as, as mentioned, I was, I did also say I was exaggerating when he says, I said he has no, makes no decisions from that point onwards. That was an exaggeration on my part. He does make the decision to go against his grandfather, uh, grand uncle, sorry. He does go against, uh, he does decide to enter the um, birthing room and the delivery room. Um, and he does decide to bury the pelican. It's the issue is I have is because part of this film acts as a, an adventure film and as a, you know, um, he's because he's going on this adventure through this fantastical world, and it's a lot of these more interesting situations where he doesn't do anything to get himself out of this trouble that he's just been led towards as well. But he doesn't is, seem is to that, drive a lot of the voyage. Is, it isn't. Is that not also true because there's not an explicit narrative? There's like there are narrative elements to this film, but there's no explicit like um, one, two, three sort of. Um, approach that this film takes there is though is like, there yeah up and up yeah it's rescue my aunt that's the that's the narrative but what's his motive for rescuing form? his aunt because he believes it's the right thing to do Does that's he? unimportant by the way that's unimportant his motive to do it is unimportant to what i'm it's saying ab- <laughs> it's absolutely not unimportant it's absolutely not unimportant because the whole film is an exploration of his own like thoughts it's he he like despises his aunt but for some reason feels the need to go and save her so why Um, does that stop him from having any agency in the film then you keep saying you admitting that you're exaggerating but then you keep saying oh he has no agency but he does you said he does he has minimal agency in most situations that would be interesting to have agency in he has minimal agency in the actual adventure part of the film, which I find frustrating. When he's faced with foes, when he's faced with actual hardships, and when he's faced with the necessity to save himself, he doesn't manage to rescue himself or prove why we should be following him as a main character. By the way, as I mentioned, this is just how I feel. I just feel like he's an annoying main character uh, once he enters the fantastical world, because, yes, before that, He's good. I like him before that. 
And that's why I find it very disappointing because I was enjoying him and then he started frustrating me. But yeah, I'll look, let's all just agree to disagree because I feel like um, whenever which I, which I'm, 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 never gonna, tussle. I'm never going to concede my point and I'm not trying to dissuade you guys from liking the movie either. I'm just saying this is why I didn't enjoy it. So yeah, that's why, yeah. That's why I didn't like it more the second time, though, because the first time I was really happy to just kind of sit there and watch the world. But the second time, since I'd already seen the world, I was kind of looking more at what the story entailed and noticing those elements was what frustrated me a bit more the second time I saw it. On talking about that, um, I just wanted to like touch on the sort of like differences in the sub versus the dub. I know that's this is like the age old debate of what's better, um, but um, but I just thought there was some interesting because obviously we saw both. Um, I just thought there were some interesting um, points at which there's reasonable distinction between um, the two performances, and as a result, you sort of get these alternate these alternate films. You have the I guess I'm trying to work out how to phrase this. Um, there's words. You can do it. I believe I'm, in you. I'm struggling so much. So you're saying there's like two, it's like it's almost two different films because the characters well, it, it's, are it's different not, because of their performance. Yeah. You, you, you don't, it's not like explicitly like two different, films but it, it feels like there's a def, definitely like strong variance between the two versions of the film um and i feel like the as a result the takeaway from like each version of the film is slightly different as well mm. um the one the one thing that really like almost bothered me with the english dub was the way formality was depicted in Japanese language, there's really strict structures about um, how specifically people are addressed and levels of hierarchy within language. And um, English just doesn't have that to the same extent. And as a result, you get these sort of like n- almost non-sequiturial lines um, where Mahito has been called um, like young master and it feels very stilted and forced where it feels, yeah, it feels almost too formal in English, whereas, and I don't know Japanese, so I'm not going to pretend like this. Uh, my like understanding of the of the Japanese version is 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 perfect, but there's definitely like levels in between that where um, you have these conflicting ideas of him being in a wealthy family living in the, like who's moved from a capital city to the country, who have these uh, like maids working for them. Um, but then also his reverence to them as being um, his senior and um, sort of that interplay a little bit and that coming back when um, obviously Lady Himi is his mother but also his age and the way that that sort of interplays around language structure not translating properly to English I felt was really interesting if not a little bit jarring. Also... Robert Pattinson, he's a freak. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's why I want to see the dub for him as well because I haven't seen it. I feel so bad. I haven't seen it. I really wish Your I had seen it before. Your mother. 
Your mother. He goes ham, and I fully respect him for that. I hope he uses that voice as Batman. I am vengeance. Is that Where good? are the other drugs going? Where is she? You know, they really should have discussed how, like, the heron is literally just a dude in a suit, in, like, a fursuit. Like, who <laughs> is he? They don't even talk about him. He's so mysterious, and his name, he's, like, he's in the goddamn title. Mm. He is the titular heron. Mm. He doesn't get a name either. Well, he's the heron. No. He's the grey heron. No, but he, like, he doesn't have, like, a name. I'm, cause I'm a bit curious. So, because herons kind of appear a little bit in different uh, stories symbolically. I can only think mm. of two um, off the top of my head right now. One of them is the boy and the heron. But in like um, the Wheel of Time series, there's these people who carry swords that have called heron marked blades. And that if you have a heron on your blade, that means you're like this absolute freak at sword fighting you're really good so i'm just wondering uh, because also the thing with uh wheel of time is that it mixes both western and eastern mythology to create this kind of pastiche and like then he'd go then the guy the direct director the right author uh then went further and just kind of made it his own but there's a lot of influences from both and so i was wondering if either of you guys know much about like how herons are represented in like maybe japanese culture or anything like that or am i asking a bit too much of a hard question here <laughs> i'm not in the know i don't know anything <laughs> explicitly <laughs> um but my understanding is is it's um like uh the predominant religion or one of the two predominant religions in japan is shintoism which is uh animistic religion where reverence is paid to um spirits and gods representing a variety of different things um, and often take the form of animals. And my understanding is that there is a light level of respect that's that's given to specific animals, and I believe herons to be among those. Beyond that, I don't I can't give you any more. I I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you any more, but I, I would imagine that it's something it's symbolic of something. I mean, because I just looked it up. Um, I looked up heron, herons in Japanese how, culture. How wrong am I? Um, so white herons, noted for their strike, blah, 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 uh, often act as messengers of the gods or symbolizing purity, but that's a white heron. Then they have blue herons or night herons. They don't mention gray herons, and I, don't, I wonder if a gray heron is maybe either a blue or night heron. And usually they're prone, it just says their presence may be more foreboding, which is not helpful. So I guess they symbolize well, I mean, something. The the heron acts as a messenger of the of the tower master and acts as a guy. It does. Yeah, that's um, true. And, but he's a grey heron, not a white one. I guess it's like he's not he's impure because um he's grey, not white, so he's got like that a mixture of um, I'm sure there's someone who's much more versed in Japanese culture that would yeah. understand that. They're never gonna hear this podcast because why would they? But yeah, the other thing I was going to say, and I've forgotten it now. That's so cool. I'm just going to say one final thing to cap cap everything off. This sure. isn't like this isn't anything more than I think Joe Hisaishi, who does the music composition for Miyazaki's films and has for uh, since he did Nausicaa, I believe. 
I I don't know how his brain works, but it's amazing, and it's, I love this. I love the music, and it's good. And this is also true of of Castle in the Sky. Um, but I really, really like the music in The Boy and the Heron. It's um really intentional and like minimalist, and I feel like it really is definitely like a soundtrack that I I will want to listen to again um given that the other films that he's worked on um have also been ones that i've i've really really enjoyed i have another question who is you know how for uh, there's like the younger version of the servant in the she's like the pirate lady and she Um, kills the fish that's the one kiriko um is she is she the servant lady She's a younger version of her. Like, she is? The, well, she uh, goes through the same door as Lady Himi. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So, like, in the past, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, so it's, the same, it's the same shirt. I think they're wearing the same shirt. So, but yeah, they are. They wear the same like, kimono. My understanding was, so they talk about how Mahito's mother... Um, Disappeared for a right, year. Went, disappeared for a year and then came back yeah. with no memory. And I sort of interpreted it to be similar um, for uh, the way that they were approaching Kiriko. I know that's not explicitly stated, but it sort of made yeah. sense to me that she just like slotted back into her life in the past with no memory for, because of uh, no attachment to the tower. Um, yeah. And the reason that obviously Mahito remembers the tower is the is the box that he steals also why did the um tower master bring in pelicans to eat the water water but why maybe there are too many babies just is it just because it's meant to be like world war ii and a lot i mean of like be dying? there's yeah i mean you can dissect this through and like i've said this like three times already now but like you can dissect this movie through like a bajillion different lenses and uh mizaki has explicitly stated this is semi-autobiographical or based on events in his childhood and experiences that he had in his childhood alongside like growing up during in during world war ii in japan and um national identity during um, the war in uh, the Second World War in Japan, and how that plays in, and it's played into his films before, um, and it plays into a lot of Japanese films in general because it's such a it was such a massive cultural moment, um, more so um, than potentially more so I would I would argue more so than than in the West because of the uh, eventual outcome. But yes, I would say probably it relates to that. And if you were to view it through a lens, looking at it like you're watching this movie specifically in regard to um, the Second World War, um, then it would I would argue probably would relate. Yes, does that answer your question? Sure. Should we give some scores? Let's do some scores, baby. Who wants to go first? Not me. I think I went first last time. <laughs> um, I, I am going to give The Boy and the Heron on a rewatch 
because I changed I changed my scores in between the original. You did change your scores. I did change my scores on Letterbox. Follow me on Letterbox. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. No, I'm gonna I'm giving uh the boy and the heron four different introduced bird species. I think. Or maybe just four different bird species. There's only and three. Like a bird man. There's only like three there's, birds. No, because there's the like big pelican too. It's the same species. <laughs> no, it's like a big, big pelican. Which one? The king. Maybe that is the same guy. Do you mean the budgie? <laughs> no, no, no. How about you go and I'll think of a better, I'll think oh, of a better cause, thing. Because my one is a budgie, a pelican, and a heron. <laughs> that's the three right, well, species do- that are oh, in man. that. That's the three species that. that are in that um in that world. Well, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it four of those bread that blocks. Mitch thought was excessive. No, what about the blocks? That I, would eat, blocks. that I would eat out of five. Like four and a half chicken sandwiches block. out of five. Rhombus. <laughs> I was yeah, I was gonna I was gonna give it four building blocks. Hey that that will crumble and collapse society as we know it. Under the uh, weight of Dave Bautista. Out of five. <laughs> I love dude. I love Dave Bautista. <laughs> He's a funny guy. Who, is who that? do you reckon and this is kind of a question just for Max, who do you reckon did the funnier version of the the line um Mahito's turned into a budgie? <laughs> Was it Christian Bale or was it the Japanese um, version? Christian Bale's performance, very strange. I just did not get the hold of what his accent was meant to be. It sounds like British, which he it is. It sounds like British, but like also fucked up. I'm trying to think. It's like when he's, um, it's kind of like when he was Gore a little bit, but like chill. Yeah, it's like, it's like if Gore was chill. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's do the outro. <laughs> As a jerk, I was going to be like, oh, wait a minute. Um, something else. Something else. Uh, fan mail section. Woo. Fan mail. Oh, oh it like, it like oh, it went bad there. Did, did you hear that too, Jazz? It was like I did, bad. yeah. It glitched yeah. a little. Maybe do it again. Like, fan. <laughs> I was like, fan mail. Fan mail. Yeah, it's better. Much better. It's a lot much better. better. Yeah. Better. It's very loud. It is very loud. Fan mail. There we go. That's better. Ah, perfect. I'm glad you fixed it now. Halfway through my <laughs> sentence. Um, do we have any fan mail, Max? You're in charge of fan I, mail now. Again, you're back. I don't believe so. We're Too keeping in this segment because we got told off. Once. Yeah. Once. And, and we don't let things go. No. We're gotta keep the people happy. Famously we hold grudges. Hey. Wait, so there wasn't any fan mail? No, there was no fan mail. Oh, you didn't say anything. <laughs> I thought you were checking. <laughs> no, I said there was no fan mail. Oh, no, you said I think there's no fan mail. Oh, no, there's no fan mail. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I wasn't ready to do the outro because <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. Uh, this has been the Blockbuster podcast. I have been Mitch. I've been Max. And I've been Jazz. 
You can send us questions, reviews, and warranted hate mail at theblockbustedpotty at gmail. Itchy nose. Gmail.com. That's potty spelled P O D D I E. You can also find us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the username BB Potty. I'm apparently still on break. So my mouth just was like, sleep time. Uh, this week, I'm going to ask you to get whimsical, get get whimsical with it. Put some swaz on it. Scratch that, reverse it. No, we did that. We did that joke. Um, we did that joke last two weeks ago when we did oh. Wonka. Um, um, did you want to ask? Let our listeners know that they can leave us a five star oh, review. I forgot on Spotify we're doing this. Yeah, no, for, not Spotify. You can leave Spotify. five stars on Spotify. Or- you can leave us five stars on Spotify, or you can leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, I, this is awkward. I don't like doing this. Um, <laughs> please five stars, please. Please five stars. We we'll this. read it out. You, you, you don't, you don't have game. to give us five stars, but we'd really like it if you would give us five stars Honestly, because it helps stars. us in the rankings or whatever. And yeah, people I mean, listen, and then people listen to it. Get your parents to listen to us too. Our parents listen to us, and they love it. So by that standard, your parents should love us as well. Um, just everyone you know let everyone you know know that we're great and leave us some stars tell me why I'm wrong for not liking the boy and the heron <clears throat> I, won't, I won't care I'll still dislike it the more you yell at me the more I'll dislike it just for spite it's defiant. I don't even dislike it I gave it a 3 that's a good score it's not bad yeah get whimsical this week put some swaz on it I said this already I'm just running the repeats. I'm like a pay TV. No, free TV. Just repeats. Put friends on. has a lot of repeats too. Yeah. Friends. Do you reckon Miyazaki would do like a (laughs) adaptation of Friends? Can you let me out of the basement now? uh, No, he would not do Friends. It would be like Friends and everyone else is just like a cat. I ate my twin in the womb. Meow. Was that a, was that a, 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 a that one movie? I keep I always want to call Pitch it Pulp Fiction, reference. but it's not. It's Pitch yeah, Perfect. It's a Pulp Fiction reference. I, for some um, reason, I've I always continuously call it Pulp Fiction, hippie. but it's Pitch Perfect. Pulp. Also, pulp we're, still we're still recording. We're still recording.